HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome, everybody. We are broadcasting live from the Good Food Awards Mercantile in Washington, D.C. Today is April 2nd. Um, My name is Katie Mosman-Wadler. I'm the executive director of Heritage Radio Network. And I'm super happy today because uh, the gang's all here. So we have our uh, executive producer at large, Jack Inslee, joining us. What up, Katie? What up, Jack? He's here with his equipment from Full Service Radio. Um, Really excited for those guys to be opening up. Soon, 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 soon. Stay tuned, DC. <laughs> and we have Allie Hamlin. Welcome. Hi, it's so nice to be here. I feel like I'm having like a little blast from the past. <laughs> um, it was a really amazing surprise drop-in to me today. I'm so thrilled <laughs> that you're here. Um, and we're going to be today interviewing a whole bunch of craft um, producers and retailers who are involved with the Good Food Awards And um, just for a little bit of background, the Good Food Awards celebrate the kind of food that we all want to eat, which is tasty and authentic, but also responsibly produced. So the awards are granted to outstanding American food producers and the farmers who provide their ingredients. So you may have caught our coverage from the Good Food Awards in January in San Francisco, where the awards were actually given out to the recipients who are pushing their industries towards craftsmanship and sustainability while enhancing the agricultural landscape and building strong communities. This was actually the seventh year of the Good Food Awards, and they were given out this year in 14 different categories. So we'll get back and uh, talk about some of the different categories as we're talking to producers today. Yeah, it's, um, it's a pretty long list, so we'll be um, trying to cover as much of that as we can today. Um, And the event um, that's happening in D.C. right now is uh, the Mercantile, which is where uh, nominees and awardees are able to participate in a really intimate kind of trade show. Um, So everybody is sampling. People are uh, walking around. People from the food industry in D.C. are going to be here. Um, And it's a nice way for the crafters and the retailers to connect as well at this event. And you guys can't see this, but we're in a warehouse with tons of natural light. It's kind of lovely, actually. It's the uh, Cherry Blossom Festival today. Yeah. So, DC's buzzing. 
Um, so, yeah, really cool stuff happening in D.C., but so thrilled today to be here at the Good Food Awards. And I'm really excited to introduce our first interviewee this morning. Um, Tori Pratt is joining us from True Syrups and Garnishes in D.C. Welcome, Tori. Thank you so much for having me. Um, can you just give us a little background about what your company is and what you're doing here at the Good Food Awards? Yeah, absolutely. So True Syrups is a craft cocktail ingredient company. Uh, we make craft syrups of the way they were made in the pre-prohibition era. So we have a tonic syrup, a grenadine syrup, and a cola syrup that are all made from the authentic sources and ingredients that they were made from pre-prohibition. Um, so we're here at the Good Food Awards, which is just absolutely fantastic because um, all of the vendors here have been pre-vetted, which means it's not just like a random sampling of people who started food businesses. This is the real deal. So... I actually respect like all of the products that are in this place, and I just love to have the opportunity to be showcased with them. How did you get your start? So I started this company about two years ago. Um, I was doing a completely different thing. I was working in international development um, and maybe drinking a little too much. And I started this <laughs> company because I made my own tonic syrup. Um, and I, I said, why isn't anybody else making their own tonic syrup? You know, the stuff that you get from the store is made from high fructose corn syrup and chemical quinine, and it tastes honestly horrible. <laughs> so, you know, like I, I, I said, you know, maybe there's another option. Let's try to do this the way it was done naturally. And so I came up with a recipe, and then I kind of fell into an opportunity where I could sell it. And I just started selling it, and then I haven't been able to look back since. That's wild. That's, 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 it seems like it happened very quickly. Thank you. Like for you, yeah. yeah. And are these syrups that I could use at home with my soda stream? Absolutely, yeah. So you can use them with your soda stream, or you can use them as simple syrup replacements and cocktails. Uh -huh. So um, our tonic syrup you mix with club soda to make an alternative to like a Schwab's or Canada Dry. And then the cola you would mix with club soda, um, and it's basically what Coke would have tasted like in 1890, minus the cocaine. <laughs> Can Sorry. you describe how that's different from modern Coke? Absolutely. So the flavor is actually a little bit closer to root beer. Um, it has a lot more flavor than normal Coke does nowadays. Coke actually doesn't even have cola nut in it, which is the natural source of caffeine, which is the Coca-Cola of Coca-Cola. Um, Obviously, we can't do the Coke apart, but um, so the flavors we include are cassia, vanilla. We use whole vanilla bean, um, allspice, and then we also use demerara sugar. So instead of the high fructose corn syrup that you normally get in um, cola, you get this delicious, thick, syrupy, like raw molasses flavor to uh, to the syrup. And it actually makes it awesome as a simple syrup replacement because that demerara adds texture to cocktails. So if you were to put it in with like an old fashioned, um, instead of, you know, adding the club soda on top, you get like this really awesome mouthfeel. I'm actually sampling it out today, so I'll make sure to bring you guys some. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, no, I have, I have a question um, about how, you know, if you have struggle to educate your consumer about how to use your product because, you know, I, I think a lot of people are very used to a mixer that kind of comes pre-measured and is consistent. And um, how, how, have you, how have you worked with that kind of conception um, 
to, to educate people on, on your products. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There is definitely a learning curve for our products. Um, but it's also, um, there's so much excitement around craft booze right now that I think I've actually found it a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. There are so many people out there who go to a distillery and they buy some local gin and then they say, what do I do with this? And when I say, well, you don't want to throw something that's overly bitter and loaded with high fructose corn syrup on top of something that somebody spent like years developing and making so that it was delicious and all the botanicals were fantastic. So, you know, I tell them, if you have a soda stream at home, great. If you don't use seltzer, use club soda. If you don't want bubbles, you don't need them. Add water on top. You know, you still got the flavor there. And um, I've actually found it a, a lower barrier to entry for education than I thought. But all of our marketing is definitely starting to focus more on educating people about cocktails. People want to learn about how to make their own cocktails at home. And we're just going to try to help them do that, whether it includes our products or not. Mm-hmm. No, that's, I, I think that's like a really smart move considering the way that the market has gone. And particularly, like working with craft spirits i i find to be a kind of a challenging process because there is you know like you don't have as much consistency as you do with major brands so you do i think need to kind of like figure out how to speak a language that also kind of mirrors what people are getting from craft distillers um about kind of like the the charming inconsistencies of your product and and how those might play out and and to set an expectation that says like this is a journey and your palate will guide you, but like ultimately what you're going to get is something that you like way better that is way more personalized to your taste. Exactly. I think one of the challenges that we have seen is that there's this emphasis on, you know, being a mixologist, right? Which I hate that term, to be honest. I absolutely hate yeah, that term. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think that making cocktails is very simple. Some of the best cocktails in the world are three-ingredient cocktails. And we have a very, very basic rubric for figuring out how to make your own cocktails at home. And I come at this from a food angle. I grew up around the food industry. My parents started a smoked seafood business around me when I was like three. And uh, my mom was a caterer. So um, I've always lived around fantastic food. And that's what I wanted to bring to the cocktail scene. I saw a lot of people who are making um, you know, syrups but had b- bartending backgrounds which is fine, but you have to know a cooking process to make a syrup. And so I thought that would be the one thing that we really added to, to the scene there. Definitely. Are you, mostly, um, are you mostly selling to people in their homes, or are you also working with bars um, and on-premise accounts to sell? So we're mostly working just direct-to-consumer um, and through wholesale to you know specialty goods stores and things like that, liquor stores. Um, eventually, I think we'd like to be in bars for the marketing aspect of it, um, especially because we're making classic syrups. We'll be able to kind of fill their bar line with more quality syrups. They don't have to cook them themselves and worry about those things. Can you talk a little bit about the garnishes part of your business? Yeah. So, I mean, things got a little crazy in the beginning, and we named it True Syrups and Garnishes, and we haven't released a garnish yet. (laughs) (laughs) Something in development? (laughs) Yes. We have a bunch of things in development. Um, One thing that hopefully we'll have out before the end of this month is a sugar salt for rimming glasses, because nobody likes that margarita salt. Like, it's kind of disgusting, right? 
Yeah, so um, so we thought we'd do it with real high-quality salt and high-quality sugar um, and make the grain perfect for making it attached to the glass. It's a big consideration. Yeah, yeah. there's right. nothing worse than using, like, extra-fine sea salt oh. and being oh like, there's God. sand in my mouth. <laughs> exactly. Or alternately, like, a Malden salt rim right. where you're like, that's an iceberg of right. salt in exactly. my drink it's on just, the inside. It can be too much. And yeah. that's why, you know, sometimes sugar can end up balancing it out a, a bit more. So that's why I wanted to yeah. be sugar salt. So, so it's a blend of the two. Exactly. It's a blend um, of the two. And that's really interesting considering like you know, you have so many classics that are one way or the other. You know, right. like your sidecar with the sugar rim or right. you know, you have your margarita with the salt rim. But I exactly. think to like combine the two is really interesting because like salt has such an effect on bitter flavors as Absolutely. well. So you're really you're really changing the whole chemistry of your drink, but it's a, such an easy, like kind of customizable again right. way to do it. And exactly it kind of fits into like our general cocktail theory, which is you need to mix like three flavor profiles in a cocktail to make it complex and interesting. You need one of like the five main flavors, like salty, sour, bitter, sweet, spicy. Umami. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so if you can get three of those in a cocktail, then it's great. So with, you know, a sugar salt, you get salt and sweet at the same time. Right. Um, and so the rest of the cocktail can be a little bit less complex, especially for a home bartender, and you end up with a better result. Um, and same with, like, our grenadine. Our grenadine's made from pomegranate juice, so it's got this, you know, sour edge to it as well as being sweet. So you got this sour sweet, and then you can find savory in your booze, and then you have a complex cocktail right there. That's amazing. That sounds very, like, as out of the mind of someone with a cooking background. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'm definitely a cook at heart. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Awesome. Are you doing any um, kinds of like consumer focused events where you're doing more of that education? Absolutely. Like on a larger scale. Yeah. So we, we do trade shows all the time. Uh, so we're doing actually Emporium right now as well up in Baltimore, um, which is a foodie focused event. And uh, we do a lot of education through that. We're also trying to educate more through our newsletter, and we're going to be starting up a blog soon um, that's basically just going to be how to make your own cocktails, basic cocktail theory, like what does an egg white do in a cocktail, you know, how do you shake versus stir, and when do you do either one. Those simple things that, you know, might be clear to somebody who makes cocktails all the time, but if you're just getting into it, you know, it's good to know those things. Totally. These cocktails you have on the website look great, too. Did you develop these? Yes. Yes, of course. Jack, I mean, some up? of them are from, from others. Um, some of them are actually from customers. Um, but, but, and we, like, we want to provide an ingredient. So the whole point is that people take it out and, you know, use it interesting, in interesting ways. And then, you know, we can showcase it. That can be used in lots of different ways. Have you discovered anything new on the mercantile floor today or anybody that you want to shout out who's here? Um, well, I actually love, like, all of the things here, but there are some of my favorites, um, especially uh, Jasper Hill Farms cheese is just, like, absurdly good. Um, my sister is so obsessed with the Harbison that, like, she can't live without it, um, and I totally understand that. Um, I'm trying to think of, oh, Misfit Juicery is awesome. We actually used to work out of the same incubator space as them. Yeah, so they, they're really cool. They have, like, a super social mission about reducing food waste, um, and they're just really cool people. Yeah. And how can people 
direct order your syrups and find you on social media? So right now we're working on um, some direct consumer access online. Uh, we used to be on Amazon, but we're working through some stuff with them right now. Um, I suggest that customers go to our website and see the stores where you can buy them. And you can find us at truesyrups.com, um, and our social media is all at truesyrups. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tori. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Tori Pratt, True Syrups and Garnishes. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network live from the Good Food Mercantile in Washington, D.C. We're going to be right back after a short break. Welcome back. This is Heritage Radio Network, and we are broadcasting live from Good Food Mercantile in Washington, D.C. Today is April 2nd. We uh, are in a, the midst of a really fun um, cocktail beverage segment here. Yeah, it's a and great way to start the day, too. I think so. You know? Yeah. Drinks. We've, um, we've been sampling. And uh, our, our next guest is Don Morton from Shrub District in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Don. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the samples that you just brought that were very delicious. Always my pleasure. That's uh, what we like to do is, you know, share the happiness. <laughs> Can you give us just the background? What's a shrub? Sure. And what's your company all about? So uh, shrub is a vinegar-based fruit syrup. Uh, I like to call them cocktail vinegars. Uh, so we started our company last year uh, here in Washington, D.C., um, basically to bring really bar-forward flavors to the home and cocktail bars around town and up the East Coast. Uh, the premise is really how do you capture and concentrate bright fruit flavors and deliver them in a way that consumers can use, and then, you know, bartenders can mix in with their, uh, you know, different uh, concoctions so that you have that pure, pure, pure fruit flavor that really, you know, punches above its weight. Well, what's, your, what's your background in... Uh, so I was 10 years in public policy, as a lot of folks in D.C. Uh, are. So I basically ran the gamut, you know, worked on the Hill, uh, uh, worked at the State Department, worked at a think tank, worked at a trade association, most recently trying to bring manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. So, you know, we can all have our frustrations with not being able to achieve policy changes. Uh, and so what I sort of figured was, like, I can take matters into my own hands. I have this love of cocktails that I developed uh, uh, first studying abroad in Italy and then coming back and building my 200-bottle home bar. And, you know, back in uh, the late aughts, uh, you know, you couldn't find grenadine. You couldn't find bitters. You couldn't find shrubs commercially, so you had to make your own. So this pineapple allspice flavor that, uh, that you're trying here uh, was my first flavor, though we didn't launch it until 2016. Uh, I've been making it for about 10 years for my home bar, and it's just been such a big hit. That's it's such a trend, though. It's like so many people in D.C. are, you know, either in policy or politics and then find their way into food and beverage. I mean... I think it's a fascinating window into uh, sort of 
two factors. One, D.C. really coming into its own as a city. We're getting a lot of people who are here to stay and are proud to be from D.C., and, you know, that allows us to enrich the food culture. The other thing, of course, is that, you know, we're all looking for ways to impact the world and to share more positive energy, and, you know, what better way to do that than food and beverage when, you you know, you can host people and you have people over, share tastes, whatever. Exactly. Um, so I think there's a notion of agency and sort of giving back to the community about, you know, starting something that can be durable and help people. And I mean, honestly, the proudest moment of my business was hiring my first employee and watching him grow and really trying to make that uh, sort of a sustainable, responsible thing that we're doing. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, curious. So a s- shrubs are such a, um, like a throwback. Like they are one of the first ways to preserve fruits um, in season so you can enjoy them out of season. It's kind of like preserving um, jam or, you know, like canning your tomatoes. So what led you to decide, like, you wanted to move forward into the cocktail future by resurrecting this very historic kind of way of using fruit? I think a lot of it intersects with how we're experiencing cocktails today, too, which is, I mean, everything's been invented. At the end of the day, we're just refining what our, you know, parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and, you know, people for hundreds of years have been doing. Uh, So when I approached Shrub, I was like, let's take this old concept and bring it into the 21st century, uh, which is why we put the fruit first. And so... Uh, you know, you taste our shrubs compared to uh, other shrubs out there. You know, we're very fruit forward. You're going to get that fruit uh, right up front and a nice little sustain. Um, and so it really plays well as a cocktail ingredient. Uh, so that's really been our focus is how do we respect those traditions, but also then provide a product that bartenders are looking for because, you know, our friends behind the bar have been trying to make stuff in-house for a while and you know we can make an economic statement that says you know let's deliver a really excellent product for you guys to use uh that's not gonna you know take up space in your 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 refrigerators you know and that kind of stuff um which is always a challenge behind the bar yeah what is the shelf life of your shrubs and how are they stored sure so we uh, uh we recommend uh one year uh in the bottle uh so you know say our 2016 products you should consume by that bottling date next year uh but uh for the home bar you know uh they last three months open uh no need to refrigerate uh we love to store them on the back bar um sort of you know i kind of say like treat it like tabasco you know because we are a vinegar based product uh you know there's there's no risk of uh of uh, you know refermentation or, or other things like that, so uh, it's a nice, really clean way uh, for people to enjoy cocktails. Do you mean I can't keep my Tabasco from three years ago? Still, you can absolutely <laughs> drink your Tabasco okay. from a couple years Great. ago. Excellent. Just drink it in very small quantities. Yeah, because it's spicy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm curious about your formulation. So you said that this pineapple allspice dram is kind of like the first formulated product. And very tiki, I, which is a kind of a cross section of like like pre prohibition Americana and like very tropical like traditional tiki culture, um, which obviously has its roots both in the Caribbean and kind of a hybridization of those flavors, but also um, you know like the 
the Polynesian tiki trend coming out of World War II. I love tiki. I um, just absolutely yeah. love tiki. Yeah, so like what what kind of like got you thinking that you were going to marry these two traditions and make a shrub? So there are a couple things uh, that influenced the development of that flavor. The first is uh, really this respect for the allspice. I taste a lot of products that like allspice drams that are on the market and what have you, and I find them to be very clove forward, and I really dislike clove as a flavor. Um, and so taking that allspice character and really integrating it with the pineapple gives us a sense of place because, you know, both of those products are grown in the, in the same region. Um, and, you know, respecting those flavor combinations that have developed over, you know, hundreds of years uh, is really what we're about. And so it becomes familiar to people. And this is one of the challenges with the shrub is, like, how do you tell people, like, oh, you may not be used to drinking vinegar but you know pineapple and you know you know allspice you know baking spices or you know strawberry you know lime you know you're familiar with these flavors this is just a little twist on that so we're here obviously at the good food mercantile and um everybody who's part of the good food awards guild is uh being recognized for not only having a wonderful product, but also for having really good, ethical, sustainable business practices. What does it mean to you to be part of the Good Food Awards? I mean, it's such an honor to be here, honestly. Um, you know, when when you sort of step back and look at what you want your company to stand for, I mean, product is important, but it's really about culture. And so one of the things that we're trying to build at Shrub District is, you know, a culture of supporting our employees, like their family, helping them grow, uh, allowing people to succeed and win together as a team. Uh, and so that means, you know, paying people above the, the living wage, uh, you know, respecting their value, letting them grow. It also means treating the product right. So, you know, whether it's organic citrus as inputs um, or uh, using an organic vinegar base, uh, our composting practices, we're really proud to work with a company called Veteran Compost um, out of Aberdeen in the northern Virginia. And so, you know, they take all of our spent fruit product and they turn it back into healthy soil. Um, so coming at it from a sort of holistic, sustainable food system, you know, shrub at the end of the day is a way to preserve food. So the more we can you know, think about those heritage practices and integrate them into how we do business, um, I think the better off we're all going to be. Well put. What's your, what's your favorite way to use your shrubs? Like if you were to kind of like assess your line and, and tell us a little bit about each of the flavors and then maybe like how you might suggest that we integrate those into our cocktails. Great. So, uh, we really, so we have four um, year-round flavors that are always available, and then we focus, uh, have a focused line of seasonals where we're using local fruit uh, and, uh, you know, producing just at peak season. So the full, full line um, is our aforementioned uh, pineapple allspice for all your tiki needs. Uh, we have a lime, which is uh, really a go-to bar mix, margaritas, daiquiris, gimlets, mojitos. And the premise there is, you know, you're using two-part spirit, one-part shrub, shake it up, add soda if you want it longer, uh, you know, sour cocktail concept in the bottle. 
We also use it a lot as a punch base. It's uh, got an orange oleosaccharum underlying it. Really gives it a, lends it a richness um, to the product. And then you know when you have friends over, you're like, I have this shelf stable lime because right. you know I forgot to buy limes. Because no one can deal with keeping fresh citrus. I know I can. It's, so it, I'm not to like not to generalize, but I definitely think like the uh, disappearance of fresh. Especially also, like, when you think about how difficult it's been in recent years to source citrus from Mexico and the lime shortage of a couple years ago. Absolutely. Like, it seems like a very nice product to have on hand when it's both your sweetener and your citrus. Exactly. It's so convenient for consumers. And then, for me, it's all about expressing that pure lime flavor. So we're getting all those essential oils from the peels. It's just a really nice product. Um... So then you have your strawberry dill, uh, which is just a bright berry flavor. Um, I love it as a way to inject that strawberry flavor into margaritas or daiquiris or what have you. It also, personally, I do a lot of like um, low alk things with uh, you know really funky wines like sherries and things like that. I find the bitterness and the complexity of the sherries pair really nicely with that bright berry. Uh, similar thing with amaro, um, that bitterness and the bright berry really really pairs nicely together. So we'll do Negroni variations, that kind of thing. Um, and then you have your Just Grapefruit, which has got a nice little bitter finish to it. We use pith peels and juice in the maceration. So you're getting that, that full grapefruit flavor, um, and it makes a great substitute for tonic. So we, we recommend you know serving that sort of as a highball. Uh, but at the same time, it also is a really divine Hemingway daiquiri. Ooh. Speaking my language there. Can you give us a sneak peek about any new seasonal flavors in development? So we're excited to relaunch our blueberry basil, uh, which will come out when blueberries are available. Uh, typically mid-June, we get we start getting those in. So we'll have that back probably July 1. Uh, that was a big hit for us last year. So, um, you know, and it, it just it pairs really nicely with gin and rum and uh, whiskey. Uh, so it's an it's a all-around crowd-pleaser. Um, we're also working to launch a line of sodas that we call Shrubbles. <laughs> so uh, I hope to have the first line of that um, available uh, early summer. We're working on prototyping now. Uh, we're, I'm really excited about this because, uh, you know, you get a uh, no-additive, uh, low-calorie, pure fruit soda and it comes in at 80 calories for a 12 ounce bottle it's just that sweet spot that as a consumer I'm always looking for how do I have that thing that has that full flavor perfectly balanced shelf stable but delicious and we're hoping to achieve that trifecta with Shrubbles dope exciting awesome alright well thank you so much Don Morton from Shrub District for being on Heritage with us today and Thanks. website, social media. Yeah, uh, find us at Shrub District on all the things, mostly Instagram. Uh, please don't tweet at me because I will see it in three weeks. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, find us on Instagram at, at Shrub District, uh, and you can order online at shrubdistrict.com. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. Hey, like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. 
Okay, and we are back. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network here at the Good Food Mercantile, Union Market, D.C. I'm Jack Inslee with Katie Moseman and Allison Hamlin. Hey, hey. Deputy hey Director Emeritus. I Emeritus. Know. I like that, though. That sounds really official. We can go with that. Yeah. Totally. I'm whispering. Right? Um, so, we are here for another segment. We are still enjoying some death moses here at the Heritage Radio table. Uh, just got handed some blue bottle coffee. So, I mean, be, being at something by the Good Food Awards means you're just constantly having delicious things to eat and drink. Life is good. And uh, we're excited to talk about some crude bitters and sodas today. We got Craig Rudowitz here with us today Hello. from Crude Bitters and Sodas. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. So let's kick it off. Why don't you tell us um, what you do with Crude Bitters and Sodas and how you started it? Sure. Uh, we're the, we make cocktail bitters and syrups, uh, soda concentrates. We're the first bitters company in the state of North Carolina. We're based in Raleigh. Uh, so we got started about five, about, about five years ago now. Um, but we've been, we won a good food award in 2015 and then another one this year. Congratulations. Two. Thanks. We got two. Awesome. Yeah. What were your award winners? Uh, in 2015, uh, it was our rosemary, grapefruit, and peppercorn bitters. Uh, that was the first bitters to ever win a Good Food Award. And then this year, we won for our spruce and birch. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so we do blends of flavors rather than single-flavor bitters. Interesting. Um, I'm curious. Like Those are unconventional, even in the cocktail world. So um, what's your inspiration for blending those flavors, and, and how are you using those blends to kind of elevate the cocktail yeah. craft. So um, I, I usually uh, start off with the, I want to pick a certain liquor to use uh, the bitters in. So uh, in the example of rosemary, grapefruit, peppercorn, I wanted gin or tequila or some sort of clear a little, liquor. A little vegetal. It's yeah. got some spice, but like not overwhelming. Right. Yeah. Um, and rosemary and grapefruit, just like cooking, those two flavors go well together use in a cocktail works just the same way so it usually starts with whatever cocktail base i want to start with and then start picking some unique flavors to pair with it and kind of elevate whatever is in there already cool. what's your background with spirits and cocktails uh, i used to live um so I've, I've been in my wife and i've been in raleigh for about five six years now um and before that we used to live in cambridge boston area uh so i bartended um for as long as i can remember i uh, went to school out in pittsburgh um, so bartended there, bartended in Boston when we moved down to uh, Raleigh, bartended there. Every place I worked at, you had to either make your own syrup or you make your own really small bottles of bitters or sodas and things like that. So it just kind of grew from there and doing it at home. Is it something you thought you were going to do, kind of like start a business, sell product, or did it... No, and to be honest, like at this point, I still don't really know how to run a business like 100%. You know, it's just... At any given point, any small business, if someone asks you a question, it's usually, yeah, I can, I can do that. That sounds like a good idea. And then you Google it, and you find out <laughs> how to do it. Um, how so, far along are you in that journey? Of- <laughs> uh, I, don't, I still Google some things, uh, but now if you're talking about cocktails or bitters or anything in the kind of mixology world, I can usually assertively say yes. Anything in kind of a business distribution, blah, blah, blah world. Eh, there's some Googling going on. What Google is there for. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's, that's definitely Can you talk real. about the crude part of your name? Yeah. Um, so uh, it started off like my name is Craig Rudowitz. So I took that first part and made crude. 
uh, which is the easy way, but um, I always thought it was funny that bitters, uh, bitters have a history with medicine and started off medicinally. They would, you know, cure upset stomachs and kind of help with fevers and digestion. Uh, but they, all, they started off just with people going out and picking plants and throwing them into grain alcohol. And when it transitioned into kind of fancy cocktails, I always thought that that kind of crude beginning was a little weird to have it mixed into a very fancy Prohibition-era speakeasy cocktail lounge. Um, so I liked the, the crude history, which is why we chose that name as kind of the, the overall brand, I guess. Uh, oh, I'm curious, what, what is your spirit cocktail? Like if you were to if you were to like imagine yourself as a cocktail. So I like I do like bitter things. Uh, on the spot, I'd have to go Negroni, uh, either that or a Boulevardier. As long as there's a healthy amount of Campari, Campari in there, yeah. I'm, that I'm was happy. actually the correct answer. Then. Yeah, I'm ding ding ding, you win. All right. <laughs> um, do you oh, sorry? Right, do you now. ever use any of your bitters medicinally? So uh, the roots that we use to make them uh, bitter and get that bitterness, they do help to settle your stomach and um, help with digestion. So the only like medicinal use that our bitters have uh, would be just into seltzer water and just kind of help calm your stomach like ginger beer, ginger ale does. Um, but ours are more kind of flavor forward for use in cocktails. So when anyone ever asks, you know, can I use these for digestion? I'll say yes, but there are many other bitters that you could use to a, a much better extent. Um, talk us through kind of the process of making bitters a little bit. Broad strokes, like, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know how familiar you guys are with North Carolina, like ABC liquor laws, but we're a control state, and it's a, the state owns all of the alcohol that comes into the, uh, into the state. Um, so I have to use alcohol to make bitters. So you, you start with a very high-proof grain alcohol, um, and you just soak, macerate, whatever herbs, spices, flavors that you want uh, to use. So um, like our, uh, our spruce and birch, we use uh, fresh spruce tips and birch bark, and you just let that macerate in grain alcohol for two months. Um, but what is the process in North Carolina is a little different uh, just because no one really knew what to do with me there because we were the first company to be a bitters company. Um, so we have to, we're a food product, but we have to kind of walk a fine line on how much alcohol we can get uh, shipped to our warehouse and our production facility. But in the end, it's really like making your own tincture vanilla extract at home. It just takes time. Um, our batches are about 20 to 30 gallons uh, for each flavor, and it takes about two to two and a half months from start to finish. Um, so for a home, like, you know, bartender, so somebody with a home bar, and the, they, all they've got is Angostura and maybe Peychaud's, what's something you would give them to kind of broaden their horizons? So uh, I usually, the first question I'll ask, like, especially events like this, uh, where I'll ask, what's your go-to liquor? You know, you always ask someone what they like to drink. It's you never try to change someone's spirit cocktail or spirit uh, in any way. So if they say, I drink a lot of gin, um, I'll give a, the, the rosemary grapefruit peppercorn is usually my introductory one to them. Uh, it's very light, very bright, works in gin, works in tequila, vodka. Um, so I usually start with what you like, and that 
that can always play well with Angostura or Peshads or even just orange bitters. Those three classics, they can pair with other bitters, but they also pair with basically any spirit. Um, so I try to, if you're just taking your baby steps into some craft bitters, uh, I usually tell them start with what you know, the base, those three, and then you can add a couple drops of ours, and then eventually I'll tell you to get rid of those three and just use ours. What are you sampling today? Sorry? What are you sampling oh, um, today on the floor? We're doing, um, we have all of our, we have eight flavors that we brought of our cocktail bitters. And then we also make shrub uh, syrups, um, especially this time of year. So shrubs are, it's a basically a simple syrup that's made from vinegar, fruit, and sugar. Uh, so it's a little sweet and tart. So we have our cucumber shrub. Uh, and what we're using is, it's a local distillery here in D.C. called 1-8 Distilling. We have their um, Ivy City Gin. So we're pouring little samples of gin, and then you can choose which bitters you'd like, and we can add that to them. That's really cool. Are you selling mostly to a home consumer audience, or are you reaching out and doing on-premise uh, yeah, we with do, bars um, and restaurants as well? It's, primarily, we do a lot of sales to uh, wine stores, liquor mm-hmm. stores, grocery stores. So we see a lot of home bar, like home bar enthusiasts uh, get that, but mm-hmm. a lot of the times bartenders will just go to... If, if a bartender has an idea for a drink, they want to make it that night or that week. So they'll yes. just go to whatever store sells bitters. Yeah, bartenders are not known to be the most patient. They are not. Uh, and it's just something, if, if the idea you know, sparks into your head for a cocktail, you need to make it right then and there or you'll forget. That's, that's me giving them a pass, I guess. Right, yeah, yeah. no, I think that's, that's kind <laughs> of you and also hopefully we'll, we'll see the fruits of that um, I hope Immediate so. decision lead into uh, cocktails everywhere that are delicious. So I'm kind of looking through the recipes now on on the website. A lot of classics in here. Um, I'm wondering if if you use your bitters in any cocktails where the bitters are like you know a one ounce pour or. Um, so I, I, I recommend that uh, from time to time. Um, the only reason I don't put it on the website is because it just gets into. Uh, a tricky category, and this will just be me nerding out on bitters and their classification. Um, but bitters, uh, since they're classified as food, you are not supposed to promote them for use as a liquor because <laughs> then it could get them changed from food to liquor, and then uh-huh. that ruins where I can sell them to. Uh, but there are uh, the the most, I guess, famous one is called a Trinidad Sour, mm-hmm. and you yeah, use about an ounce to even more of yeah. Angostura. Uh, so you can use some of our bitters in that same way. Um, the one you know nice thing about Angostura is that it gives you that clove and cinnamon kind of dark spice. So we have a coffee cocoa one uh, that I recommend doing that same way. You'll get kind of a heavy. It's uh, like a sub in a Trinidad sour for the Angostura. I, uh, I like using that one in a Trinidad sour. Uh, we also have a pecan magnolia that works Ooh. the same way. It's a little lighter than uh, Angostura, but gives you a unique flavor. Amazing. And uh, where can our listeners find you online on social media? Uh, we are easy enough. We're crude bitters. Uh, so Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, it's just at Crude Bitters. Our website, crudebitters.com. Uh, we have a little online store we ship uh, all over. And then we also we have a little tab there. You can see all of our retailers. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. Yeah, thank thanks you Thanks for being here. Um, we're going to keep interviewing awesome people, making awesome stuff here at Good Food Mercantile, Union Market, D.C. Uh, we'll be right back on Heritage Radio Network. Uh-huh. 
And we are back continuing our coverage here at the incredibly fun Good Food Mercantile at Union Market, D.C. As I keep mentioning, the spread on the table evolves with every interview. We've got Misfit Juicery. We've got all kinds of stuff. we got six-point beer. Um, anyway, we are very, very stoked to uh, ha- welcome our next guests. Katie, if you want to introduce them. That's right. We are so lucky to have with us now um, Sarah Mossbacker, who's the business manager, and Pia Carson, who's the owner and founder of Republic Restoratives here in D.C. Welcome, girls. Thank you. Thanks for having us on. Happy to see you guys. <laughs> um, so can you just give us the, the quick background about what is Republic Restoratives and how you got started? Yeah, sure. So we are a uh, local craft distillery here in Washington, D.C. We also have a cocktail bar, so a lot of uh, local folks know us for that as well. Um, We're in a a developing neighborhood about a half mile from where we're sitting here, um, and we've got a, a cool distillery right on the corner, a major intersection. Uh, a lot of passer buyers. Uh, we've been open for 10 months, um, and so we only have three products out. But, um, yeah, we're all over the city of Washington and soon to be in Maryland and Virginia. Amazing. What are your products that are out now? So we launched with a vodka called Civic. Uh, it's a corn-based vodka, gluten-free, um, sort of a crisp, clear, like, you know, standard vodka that should hopefully be an easy palate pleaser. And then in November we launched a bourbon called Burrow Bourbon. Um, it's a six-year-old Kentucky whiskey, Kentucky bourbon that we uh, sourced about two years ago and have been finishing in our facility in used white wine barrels, uh, French oak. So kind of a unique, um, unique final blend. And then our third product we released just a week ago called Rodham Rye. Um, Congratulations. To, uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, to surprisingly quite a lot of like buzz and press um, after its namesake, Hillary Rodham Clinton. I wish I had known that this was like a temple for offerings. I feel a little embarrassed that we came over to record. And we should have brought a bottle. To like, Don't worry, we'll be by know, I can see bit. everybody else knew that we were supposed to like bring you things. I don't know about yeah. temple. I'd say more like a uh, receptacle. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So you are in D.C. I wonder if you could speak a little bit about how D.C.'s evolved over the past I don't know, five years or so, because it seems that there's been this huge wave of food and beverage in this town. Yeah, yeah well, I, I can certainly speak to the side of the makers here. Um, you know, you need space to make anything. And D.C., unlike maybe New York or San Francisco, still has um, space to rent. Um, and some of it is decently affordable. So, like, for us, uh, you know, we needed 7,000 square feet. So we couldn't do that in New York. Um so I think that's a, that's a lot of the reason. I think also this region is just, like, very diverse in terms of, like, the agriculture and business here. Um, D.C.'s, like, known, you know, maybe around the country for being, like, full of, like, government workers and kind of boring. But, like, the truth is that's not the case, obviously. Um, and it's sort of been, like, in a lot of ways we're sitting in the capital of everything here. Um, the market repurposing an old food market, you know, generations old food market here. Um, and then, like, everything popping up around it. And even over where we are, we're benefiting from it. So there's been a ton of activity. It's really been incredible to be a part of it. It is really nice, though, that despite the fact that, yes, this is a city, and, yes, the scene is growing, but it's still small enough for everyone to know each other. And when you know each other, you're more prone to be friendly and cooperative. And I know that, you know, you're in New York. Like, I'm coming from New York. Like, when a place gets really, really big, uh, it's a lot easier when you don't know each other to be 
competitive in the not friendly way. And, you know, we would know everyone not just by face, but by name uh, in our corner of the industry as crafters and in our complementary industries as well. Um, so if, if I asked you what cocktail would you say best represents D.C., what would come to mind first? Well, the Ricky is like the cocktail of D.C., um, classically made with gin. Uh, also delicious with vodka. Um, <laughs> plug, 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 plug. Specific, specifically civic vodka. Um, no, um, but, you know, you have a lot of whiskey drinkers here. Like, if you look at the around the country, like, the city that drinks the most bourbon, D.C. tops it. Um, right? Yeah. You have a lot of, like, you know, lobbyists and whatnot that probably are coming in to, like, push those numbers up a little bit. But uh-huh. D.C. is a big drinking city and, um, you know, more and more, like, Everybody's enjoying brown spirits. Women, younger people are, are seeking them. So um, it's a really interesting time in the in the cocktail world. Mm-hmm. How has your experience been um, starting up a distillery, which, like, you know, I think this is changing, but has kind of been a male-dominated industry um, for a team of really awesome women to put this together? Um, what's that reception been like and what's the process been like and have you felt that um, kind of tradition of the male-dominated space? Yeah, I mean, when we are in when we are in distillery spaces, like um, amongst craft distillers, we are, it's really rare to see women there. Um, maybe they're the wife of the owner or whatever, the daughter of the owner. Unlike an event like today where it's very like mixed and diverse, but yeah, when you go to like these distillery conferences, it's rare. People are always shocked. They're like, oh, you work for Republic Restoratives. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I own it oh, who do you own it with? Like, and I point to my female co-founder and they're sort of like, you know, they make a, make a face. So yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Um, you know, there's been like a couple glitches that may be because we don't have like a guy on the team, but I think for the most part, people have been really receptive and excited. I think it's been a positive, a positive thing for us. Um, and so much of the, so much of it, like when you, when you're building a distillery, you're really like concerned with your local law and regulation. And, and it's been really, uh, DC has been very favorable towards us. So that's awesome. Yeah. And yeah. Um, how have other women been supportive of your business and your startup process? Um, well, I would say, you know, the female chef owners in D.C. have been super excited um, to support us, taking us on their bar, putting us on their menu. The female bartenders in D.C., right, also sort of like a, you know, small group of people. Um, so, yeah, we've been, like, very much you know, welcomed. I mean, it's, you know, like Sarah said, like we're a small city. We all know each other, whether it's like, you know, specifically bar restaurant, uh, people or like craft food producers. So, you know, the friend, our friends from Gordy's or whatnot, like we're always looking for ways to collaborate. Um, and it's a small enough city that we can do that pretty easily. And regardless of what's going on in national politics at the end of the day, DC is very liberal city. So uh, a lot of people who will go, not just other women, but will go out of their way because they're excited about a women-owned and run craft distillery. Have you been seeing more women-owned distilleries coming up, or is that uh, still kind of a... Yeah, not really. I mean, there are something like 1,300 distilleries in America. Um, It's very small still, so... Uh, yeah, there's really not many. And, and by women-owned, like, again, 100% women-owned. Um, there are a lot of women in ownership teams of distilleries, but I don't, I don't really actually know of any other. Um, but, you know, there are, but I should say there are great female distillers and women in this business, and whether or not they own or not, like, they're, you know, changing the landscape in a really positive way. Um, 
but you know it's a little unique when you own because you're also trying to raise the money to start the project up and represent you know not just like the like brand strategy but like do you know enough about construction and distilling to even do something like this and that world is very very male centered so next week is the is it the American Distilling Institute's annual conference and one of the it's in Baltimore so just up the road maybe you want to come with us <laughs> Uh, and I noticed that one of their lunches is a women in distilling. And I'm wow. really excited to see sort of like how well that's attended and who shows up. And, you know, you guys are yeah. probably excited to see if there are people there who you don't know about or. Yeah. No, it's going to be it's going to be great. It's the largest craft distilling conference in the country. And this year it's in our region. So it's great. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about your bar space? Is it specifically a tasting room? I know you have cocktails there. Yeah. So the uh, your local liquor law governs whether or not you can serve cocktails in your distillery. D.C. allows it. So um, we do tastes but also cocktails. So if you've already, like, seen the distillery and it's just, like, you're, uh, you know, Thursday night, you're looking for somewhere to have a great drink, you can come in um, sit at the bar. So, yeah, we are, you know, in much in the way um, of other small cocktail bars, except that we have a glass wall. So, so as you're having your cocktail, you can, like, look through the, to the production facility. And if we're working that night, you can watch us, you know, distilling. Um, yeah. That's super cool. So. And uh, what, are, what are your hours for tours? Can people drop in? Yeah, so tours are Saturday, Sunday, um, Saturday on the afternoon uh, time frame. We're open for drinks Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So currently closed Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, in part because, like, it, you know, we have a lot to do during the week, but also the neighborhood just, I don't know, would support cocktails on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday yet, but maybe soon. <laughs> and information about our tours, and you can sign up, is online at our website, plug, 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 <laughs> www.republicrestoratives.com. That's right. Um, and lastly, what does it mean to you to be part of the Good Food Awards? I mean, it's um, incredible that the awards and Mercantile are here, um, and for us to be invited is huge. I mean, it's like, you know, we're, we're new to the space. We realize that, like, the, the marriage of, like, food, edible food production and spirits, you know, is, like, couldn't be more important. So we're thrilled to be here and um, have met so many interesting people, had a really, like, fruitful conversations today from sourcing uh, grains to distribution and whatnot. So, yeah, really happy to be here. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Pia Carasone and Sarah Mossbacker from Republic Restoratives. Check them out on social media at Republic Restoratives. And uh, keep listening to Heritage Radio Network for more interviews with crafters and retailers from the Good Food Mercantile in Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.